Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Well, we got some more bad economic news coming out today. And of course, it capped a week of generally worse than expected news. I was looking at a chart of the economic surprise index on an article on Zero Hedge, and it was a new low for this cycle. And they went back to find the last time that the economic surprise index was this low. And it was right about the time that the Federal Reserve launched Operation Twist. Remember that? I was calling it Operation Screw. It's when the Fed was uh, lengthening the maturity of its balance sheet. It was selling some of its short-term bonds and and buying longer-term bonds to have more of a direct impact on pushing down long-term interest rates. Yet today, when the market is being surprised by the same amount of negative economic data, unexpected negative news. And again, every time you read a news story that says, you know, something was negative, it's always prefaced with that it's unexpected. And, you know, that's why I always put it in quotes when I put those headlines on uh, up online, because why don't they expect it by now? Right. You pretty soon, you know, you get enough bad news, you should expect it. And at some point they will. And that's when the index starts to go the other way. When things are bad enough, long enough People start expecting bad things to happen, and then the next thing you know, good things happen. And so the economic surprise index goes the other way. But people are still optimistic, yet they keep being disappointed. Yet despite this, right, the Fed is not only not doing Operation Twist, it's tightening. It's, it's putting the screws on big time in its mind in that it has just announced quantitative tightening, right? Not only did they just raise interest rates on Wednesday, but they indicated they're getting ready to to uh, to do quantitative tightening for the first time ever. Right. This has never been tried before by the Federal Reserve. And, you know, they think that they could do it. You know, it's amazing, too, that they will acknowledge the Federal Reserve is always out there talking about how quantitative easing helped the economy. It pushed up uh, asset prices It pushed up the stock market It pushed up the real estate market. OK, well, if that's what they think. How can they believe they can reverse the process, do quantitative tightening, 
and not have a negative impact on asset prices, not have a negative impact on the economy. It's amazing that they have the hubris to actually believe that this can be accomplished. And again, it doesn't have a positive impact. You inflate an asset bubble, and the asset bubble can distort the economy and lead to phony economic growth, the appearance of economic growth. And yes, if you try to suck the air out of the bubble, that phony wealth is going to disappear, and you're going to be left with all the problems that you created when you did the artificial stimulus. And so to the extent that the Fed actually follows through with uh, quantitative tightening, and again, you know, they are data dependent, but who knows what that means? Because again, they're ignoring all this data. But at some point, they won't be able to ignore it. The data we got today, early this morning, was housing starts and an unexpected big drop in housing starts. This is the third month in a row that the starts are down. So I wonder whether they're going to expect it. But they even there was a slight revision to uh, the prior month. But not only were housing starts way down, but building permits were also way down. So that means that this trend is likely to continue. You know, the last time we had three consecutive monthly declines, it was 2009. Gee, what was going on in 2009? Oh, the greatest uh, recession since the Great Depression. That's the last time we had three months like this. And, you know, this is the lowest level of, I think, eight months or something like that. I forget. But this is bad news on a big sector of the economy. And guess what? The Fed just hiked rates. So if housing starts were bad before the hike, aren't they going to be worse after the hike? And, you know, quantitative tightening also involves selling mortgage-backed securities. And so if the Fed is a seller of mortgage-backed securities instead of a buyer, what does that mean? That means that there's downward pressure on price, upward pressure on rates. That means it's more expensive for people to buy houses. So what does that mean? That means fewer houses are going to be built because fewer people can afford to buy the ones that have already been built, let alone adding to the supply. Housing is a big employer in the economy, a lot of construction jobs. And it's not just housing that is being impacted by rising rates. It's automobiles. I mean, the air is already coming out of that bubble and the Fed just put another hole in it. But everybody's got debt, consumers, credit card debt. You know, student loans, they float too. You know, student loans can be moving up higher. And all these students with all this debt, they don't have a lot of extra income, the ones that are actually paying their, their student loans. So the Fed is just oblivious to this, although the official, the Federal Reserves that do these, uh, you know, GDP forecasts, both the Atlanta Fed with its GDP now and the New York Fed with its GDP now cast, they both came out and uh, downwardly revised their estimates for Q2 GDP. The Atlanta Fed moved down from 3.2, which it just moved up to. It was at 3% on Wednesday, the day of the Fed rate hike. And the morning of the hike, or before the hike, they moved it up to 3.2, which surprised me because we got bad news, and then they they went up to 3.2. But I thought maybe the optics of uh, you know reducing their expectations just before the Fed hiked rates that day, based on how great the data was when it wasn't. So they waited till today, but now they revised it back down to 2.9. So it's now lower than it was on the Wednesday morning of the rate hike. But what's more important is not where the Atlanta Fed is, but the New York. Fed, New York GDP now, they went down from 2.3 to 1.9. So this is the lowest they've been this year, 1.9. 2.9 is the lowest the Atlanta Fed has been. But you still have a full percentage point 
between the New York Fed and the Atlanta Fed. Now, you know, I think if this was the price is right, they would probably both lose because they're probably both over. And they're probably going to have to uh, move these things down. But obviously, I think the New York Fed is closer to hitting the mark than is the Atlanta Fed. But sometimes the Atlanta Fed has a tendency of really making quick adjustments later on as we get a lot closer to the end of the quarter. They quickly ratchet it down to kind of catch up uh, to where the data has been. I'm not really sure you know, why that is or what the methodology that they use, but I I've, I've tend to, uh, I've seen that or I've noticed that happening in the past. But we're getting all this information. The economy is weak. And the Federal Reserve is acting as if nothing has happened. The only thing they seem to talk about is inflation and, uh, you know, their confidence that they're getting close to the 2% level, when I'm sure we're already well beyond that because the methodology for measuring it is incorrect. But I'm reading more articles now about raising the inflation target. This is coming, you know, because one of the reasons they can't be too easy is because inflation is close to 2%. Now, the core inflation, the way they look at it, is actually starting to back away from 2% a little bit more. So there are some people who are saying, well, can't the Fed see that inflation is going down? Why don't they do something about it? But maybe with the inflation target at 2% and you're just under it, and the Fed can think of reasons that are transitory, like cell phone prices or whatever they pointed out. But if they can move that target up to 25 or 3%, then they got plenty of elbow room uh, to, to cut rates, to call off quantitative tightening. But of course, they will do that anyway. But it looks like they're going to do that belatedly uh, because uh, the, the data just keeps getting worse and they keep ignoring it. Now, politically, maybe it's possible that they're, you know, they're trying to try to do this so people will blame Trump, right? They keep talking about how good things are. And, you know, that's where Trump has taken the bait and maybe falled into the Fed's trap because he is taking so much credit for this stock market rally. He's saying the media is not giving me enough credit. Look at how high the stock market is. This is confidence in my economy. In fact, Trump is even out there talking about how fantastic the GDP numbers are going to be. He's promising a big GDP number that's going to be incredible. I mean, how can he make this promise? He can't possibly deliver that, right? I mean, unless, you know, so why is he doing that? Is it, I mean, are, are Trump advisors not telling Trump how bad the economy is, I mean, based on the data. I mean, why not just blame the weakness on your predecessor instead of pretending that everything is great, you know, continuing that false narrative of fiction peddling so that it's all going to blow up because everything's great. Yep, everything's great. Fed admits, yep, the economy's great. And then the market tanks, we go into recession. Oh, what happened? Everything was great. Must be Donald Trump's fault, right? Too much deregulation, all this talk about tax cutting. You know, I've actually started to read articles now where people are blaming the failure of Obamacare because Obamacare is collapsing everywhere, right? Uh, these um, companies are pulling out of the uh, of the market. Uh, so, you know, there, some markets, you know, don't have more than one uh, health care provider and maybe some don't have any, right? And you know what they're saying now? It's because of Trump, right? Because all the uncertainty surrounding what might replace Obamacare. Is it going to be here? Is it going to be replaced? So it's all this uncertainty that is screwing it up. So in other words, it's Trump's fault. And you know what? You know, it, it, it's he's going to be blamed either way. That's why they, they shouldn't have touched this. If they could not just repeal it and get rid of it, right, this whole repeal and replace has taken forever. And now, simply because it's taken so long and they're debating it for so long, they can blame the problems on that, right? Because if they had done nothing, if they just couldn't flat out repeal it right away, if they had, you know, which would have been better, have the guts, 
flat out repeal Obamacare. But if they couldn't do that, then say, you know what, we're not repealing it, we're leaving it here. Because then at least they could blame the collapse on Trump and the Republicans for screwing up a good thing by introducing all this uncertainty. Because it's not the uncertainty that's screwing up Obamacare. It's the certainty that either Obamacare is going to stay or it's going to be replaced by something else that's almost as bad or maybe even worse. Who knows? But, you know, this is how the media is going to continue to blame things. But I wish Trump wasn't helping them uh, by taking this bait, by by embracing these phony statistics, by embracing this bubble. I liked him better when he called it a bubble, right, when he was critical of the jobs numbers and the economic numbers. Now, of course, it's the same numbers. It's the same uh, Department of Labor. The same people are concocting these statistics. And all of a sudden, they're no longer phony. They're great. And they prove that he is the greatest president and his policies are working. And he is going to end up regretting that. I mean, this is going to, you know, some of these statements he'll regret, you know, because a lot of them, too, are up there on Twitter. So uh, they're there forever, and people can uh, you know, throw them right back in the president's face. Let me turn uh, to the markets today. You know, another day where the Dow Jones was up, but the Nasdaq was down. We continue to see this rotation. The Dow didn't make a record high, and the Nasdaq wasn't down that much, although there were some stocks in the Nasdaq that got beaten up, mainly because of the surprise announcement. That Amazon, right, the king of online retailers, is buying Whole Foods, right? And they're buying them for all cash. They're not even using their inflated stock to buy the company. They're paying with cold, hard cash, $13.7 billion of cash, which I don't think they have that just lying around in the bank. So I think they are borrowing the money, which is one of the reasons that I think S&P is saying they may downgrade Amazon's debt because so this will lever up the company. Now, of course, they could sell stock. Amazon could do a secondary offering, right? Maybe assuming uh, uh, Whole Foods didn't want Amazon's expensive stock, they just wanted cash. Uh, I'm sure that they could do an offering of Amazon stock and finance this with equity rather than debt. But I guess interest rates are low. And they figured why, you know, let's not dilute the company, even though our stock price is so high. And they're going to be borrowing money uh, to buy this uh, to buy this stock. But interestingly enough, the price of Amazon shares actually went up, up two and a half percent on the day. That's kind of rare, right? Normally, when a company announces they're buying another company, the acquirer, their stock goes down. Yes, the company who got bought, Whole Foods, was up 29 percent on the news overnight. In fact, Whole Foods, look at the chart of Whole Foods. That stock was tanking. And it looked like it was headed a lot lower up until um, yesterday, until, you know, this news came out. I bet there were a lot of people short the stock uh, who got hammered. Now, of course, if they were short all the other retailers, they made a ton of money today, even though they lost it on Whole Foods. Because even though Whole Foods, right, the deal, the whole deal to buy Whole Foods was like a $13.7 billion deal. And, and that's, uh, that's for the whole company. And so the value of Whole Foods on the announcement was up, I don't know, what the, the increase, the $30 bump in the price of the stock, about a 10%, uh, a 30% rather increase in the price of the stock, a $10, $10, almost a $10 jump, 30% increase. That means the additional value for Whole Foods as an enterprise, as a company, right, it went up by about, what, four or $5 billion based on that. But the 
net cap, the market cap of Whole Foods competitors went down. Well, I guess some of them are Amazon competitors, some of them are Whole Foods competitors. But the the market caps of companies that compete with Amazon and Whole Foods right, dropped collectively by more than $30 billion. So even though there was acquisition, and normally in a sector, right, if, if somebody comes in and buys a stock in a sector, the whole sector goes up that got bought because now people start thinking, oh, this sector is undervalued. You know, maybe somebody else is going to get bought out. But no, this shows you how vulnerable and how weak this sector is. Everybody is scared to death. All the competitors are so afraid of this merger that even though uh, Whole Foods got bought out and you would think that raises the value of grocery stocks, other grocers got killed on the news. They didn't go up. And the reason for this is because people are worried that this combination is going to be uh, very competitive, that Amazon is going to look to drive down costs at Whole Foods. You know, obviously, this food there is expensive. It's all natural foods. It's on a higher end price point. Um, And, you know, but to the extent that Amazon could wring costs out of Whole Foods and use technology uh, to replace human beings and become more price competitive, that is putting pressure on these other companies. I mean, take a look. I mean, uh, Walmart today was down 4.65%. Target was down over 5%. Target is now at a new 52-week low uh, following this news. And look at some of the the uh, grocery stores. Uh, Farmer's Market was down, Spots Farmer's Market down 5.4%. Kroger, Kroger down over 9%. New 52-week low. This thing went over the edge of a cliff. Uh, Kroger shares now down almost 50% since peaking out in late uh, 2015. So all these stocks were going down. And, you know, Whole Foods was one of them. All these stocks were going down, going down. And now all of a sudden, Amazon decides to save Whole Foods. That's the the supermarket it's picking to buy. Now, there are people that are speculating that, oh, well, you know, somebody else is going to come in and offer more for Whole Foods because it's actually trading at a premium to the cash offer that's already on the table. So people are betting, oh, well, somebody else will come in and offer more and maybe Amazon is going to have to pay more. I don't think so. I mean, I, I, I think you would have to be a fool. I mean, there are people who are saying, well, maybe Walmart, right? Walmart will step up and buy Whole Foods. Why would they want to do that? Because if you stop Amazon from buying Whole Foods, they'll just buy somebody else, right? And then if you know, you own one of the other, if you're Walmart and now you own a Whole Foods, but now Amazon buys somebody else, what's going to happen to the new combination of Amazon and Whole Foods? The stock's going to get killed because it's just going to be another one of those stocks that's going to get hammered because they're going to be worried about competing with this new combination of Amazon and uh, whoever they buy because somebody else was dumb enough to, to buy Whole Foods. I mean, if Amazon bought Whole Foods, where's the game changer there? There's nothing new there. Right. So and you also got to think about John McKay selling out to Jeff Bezos and why he did that. I think uh, John Mackey um, understands that, you know, the, the competitive problem in this industry, in, in retailing in general, in the grocery industry. He was probably happy that 
Amazon picked his company because if they would have picked one of his competitors, his stock would have been hammered today too, just like everybody else. So he got lucky and he took all cash maybe because he doesn't know about, you know, what's this stock worth because it's such a high multiple. But, you know, I hope John Mackey has some influence over Jeff Bezos. You know, he's a very, very uh, well-known, popular libertarian CEO. He's always at Freedom Fest. You know, hey, by the way, I, you know, if you don't have your tickets to Freedom Fest in July, uh, go online to freedomfest.com and register. Make sure you put my name in there somewhere so Mark Skousen knows that I'm promoting his event. So he knows people are coming there because of me. Uh, and I, I got a lot of speaking engagements. There's a lot of stuff going on. We got a booth there. You know, some of the guys from the L.A. office will be out there. It's over the summer. It is hot. But we really go, we, we don't really go outside until it's nighttime, so the sun is down by the time we uh, we leave the hotel. Because during the day, you've got all the Freedom Fest events, and then at night, well, you're in Las Vegas, so you got plenty to do. So go to freedomfest.com. But I'm saying, hopefully, John Mackey can have some influence uh, over Jeff Bezos politically. I'm not really sure, you know, <laughs> you know just move him over to the free libertarian side of things, because it'd be nice to have him joining the uh, the libertarian camp. But, you know, a lot of the articles that I'm reading about uh, why some of these stores should be worried, right, about this Amazon, a Whole Foods combination, it's not so much the companies that should be worried. It's the employees of these companies, because really the advantage that Amazon is probably going to bring to Whole Foods is going to be about driving down costs through the use of technology and Amazon's job is even easier now because governments all around the country have made labor so expensive, so overpriced, right? Because you've got increases in the minimum wage, you've got mandatory benefits, uh, mandatory uh, health insurance, you know, now, I mean, it may be mandatory leave or who knows, right? There's always some politician that wants to win votes by promising to force your boss to give you something for free, right? So all that does is it drives up the cost of labor and it drives up the advantage of substituting labor for a machine, for a computer. And that's what Amazon can do best. You know, I already talked on this podcast about how they plan to open up these little grocery stores, Amazon Go, and eliminate uh, the, the, the checkout. You know, because you don't, you know, more cashiers. You just walk in, throw yourself in a bag, pick, you know, take your, take what you want off the shelf, put it in a bag, and walk right out the door. And the computer knows exactly what you bought, and it charges your Amazon account, right? Well, now obviously it's not just going to be Amazon Go. I bet they're going to have that technology at Whole Foods. I mean, a lot of people that work at Whole Foods right now, you know, they're not going to be working there. I mean, Steve Mackey is still going to run the company. They're not changing the name. It's still going to be Whole Foods. It's not Whole Amazon or Amazon Foods. It's Whole Foods. But they're not going to have their whole workforce. I'm sure that. They're probably going to get rid of a lot of people. And a lot of their competitors are going to have to do the same thing. You want to compete with Whole Foods? You know, and if you're a Kruger, right, you better start substituting machines for people too, right? You got to take down that labor cost because you're not going to be competitive. And they're also probably going to find some other synergies between online shopping and brick and mortar. Because, you know, Amazon had already gotten into groceries, but it's still a small part of its business. Because I think even for most online shop shoppers who, you know, buy almost all their stuff on Amazon, they probably still go to the local grocery store to do their marketing, right? I mean, most people, especially if you're buying, you know, produce, you know, you want to look at it, touch it, you know, make sure it's ripe. You're looking at cuts of meat or fish. You want it fresh. 
you know, you want to look at it before you actually buy it. So a lot of people are probably, you know, not never going to migrate uh, online. I mean, if you're buying things that, you know, that are in boxes and staples, long lasting things, maybe you could stop up online for some of those things or, you know, bathroom products, uh, stuff like that, or detergents. But stuff you're eating and, you know, you want fresh food and a lot of that is not going online. So I think Bezos recognizes this. And so he wants to dominate basically retail. And he figured I can't dominate the grocery business unless I actually own some grocery stores. And maybe that's true. But, you know, you look at now that Amazon has, you know, this huge grocery business as part of the business. I mean, what kind of multiple should the stock trade at? I mean, shouldn't you have to discount uh, you know, part of their earnings now, or can the whole company now trade on this higher multiple? I mean, is how much more valuable is Whole Foods now uh, that Amazon owns it? I mean, obviously, the whole board at Whole Foods, not just John McKay, but, you know, he obviously other people approved this deal. They were probably all worried that if they didn't sell to Amazon, somebody else would, and obviously their stock would have tanked, right? So they almost had to dis- had to sell to Amazon, because everybody who didn't sell to Amazon is going to get killed. So it's like you have no choice, right? It's a gun to your head. You know, either I, either you let me buy you or I'm going to buy one of your competitors and then you're worthless, right? So obviously they knew the business was in trouble. So how much is it worth now that Amazon owns it? Now, it's probably worth more than their competitors that don't have this advantage or the synergies that Amazon might bring to the table. But we'll see. I mean, the stock was up today. I don't know if people are going to start to question this story because it's almost ironic, right? Because first... Amazon basically puts out a business, all the bookstores, and it's putting out a business, all sorts of online retailers, right? It's retail apocalypse. This is the worst year for retailing uh, probably ever. Uh, it's not all due to Amazon. I mean, Amazon is part of it. But yes, they help put out put out of business all these companies, and now they're trying to become what they destroyed, right? They're starting to buy up some of the businesses that they're driving out of business uh, because of the relative advantages they've been able to generate uh, through the online shopping experience. But I guess one of the reasons they can afford to buy the companies is because they've driven down the price and because their stock price is so high, although this deal is not a stock deal. It is a uh, a cash deal, but one of the reasons that they can af- they can borrow this much money is because obviously they the stock valuation is so high that the debt level relative to the stock is still very small. But of course, there is the chance that the stock price could fall, uh, and uh, and so. But you know, who knows? As I said the company may eventually launch a uh, a, a share uh, offering of stock, and then they can easily pay for it based on. Uh, you know, and the, the the value of the stock and the dilution wouldn't actually be that big. I mean, what the market cap of Amazon is enormous, you know, relative to uh, what was just paid for uh, what they just paid for Whole Foods. But my point is, who should be worried? It's not, you know, maybe the stockholders or I guess they could be worried, but the employees, people are going to lose their jobs uh, and a lot of these are these guys, these minimum wage guys, you know, they're striking for 15 uh, dollar an hour minimum wage, right? They 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 they, they want uh, to force their employers to pay all this money for these unskilled jobs. What they're doing is they are eliminating their jobs. They are pricing themselves out of the market because they are making it uh, more attractive for these companies to automate. And in fact, even if they were resisting it, Amazon is going to leave them no choice because if Amazon is driving down prices at Whole Foods. And now more people are going to Whole Foods because they're, they've got a better price. Then their competitors are going to have to copy 
uh, at Whole Foods, and they're going to have to find similar ways to drive down prices, and that might mean letting go of workers. And of course, you know, under normal circumstances, right? If this is a total free market, if the government wasn't distorting the labor market with all these mandates and all these minimum wages right, and all these taxes and healthcare, we had a regular free market, and businesses were substituting machines for people, it would be a good thing. It would be pure progress. It would be a win. You know, even for the people who were losing their jobs, uh, you know, they would still better off, be better off over time based on that natural uh, improvement in efficiency and productivity, based on greater abundance that would produce rising living standards. But when you have a situation like we have today and businesses are substituting capital for labor, not because the free market would uh, move in that direction, but because government has artificially inflated the cost of hiring people such that technology is now cheaper, not naturally, not based on its own, not based on how the free market would allocate resources, but based on how the free market is trying to allocate resources in an environment where the government has interfered and made labor artificially expensive. So now the substitute to capital is not something that the free market wants. It is not the most effective use of our resources. It's only the most effective use given the artificial constraints that government has placed on labor by making its price artificially high. And and now, once the government has done that, once the government has screwed up and artificially increased the cost of labor, then substituting capital for labor in that circumstance is an improvement for the overall economy, but now you've trapped certain people in unemployment who wouldn't be trapped in unemployment because in a free market, to the extent that there were still people ready, willing, and able to work, they would have their jobs. In the, you know, But what would happen in a free market is at some point, you couldn't find people that would be willing to work for the low enough wage, and so you would need to use a machine because people wouldn't take the job. Because in most circumstances... People prefer interaction with a human. I mean, almost every circumstance that I have in my life, right? I mean, if I can talk to a human, I'm talking to a human, right? I mean, you know, when I, I, you know, when I'm calling a company, I mean, I'm always, the first thing I do is I hit zero, agent, operator. I mean, I want to go right to a person. I don't want to be stuck in a maze of voicemail. I mean, most people, hey, if self-serve gas was the same price as full-serve gas, would you pump it yourself or would you let... Uh, the the gas station attendant pump it right. Most people prefer to have somebody else pump their gas, uh, so you rather do it yourself than use a machine. You use the machine because the machine is cheaper. Um, but people like interact with other people. Uh, but when the government comes in and has a an artificial um, price on labor, well, then you know you don't have the real market. Oh, another you know example of this I had. You know, I just went into the city the other day, and I actually went in by train, so I bought a ticket. And when I was at Grand Central Station, there was there's a huge line right of um, ticket windows, probably like I don't know fifteen or twenty, and there's only one human being there, and so and there's a pretty long line. But I didn't wait it because I decided to go you know to the other end of the station where they have a bunch of machines, and you know I just bought my ticket with a machine, and that was fine. 
But, you know, if there was a human being in, in enough of those windows so that there wasn't a line, I would just assume go to a human being, buy a ticket, pay the human being, let the human being, you know, uh, you know, take my credit card or whatever. I'd rather do that. But I didn't want to wait in line because they only had one person at the window. Why? Because it's so expensive to hire all those human beings. So it's cheaper to use these machines. But there's so many unemployed people. So many unemployed people, so many young people that don't have jobs, that aren't even working. If you got rid of all the wage laws, got rid of all these mandates, I bet there'd be a young kid at every one of those windows learning job skills, right? And people would use them. But the government makes that choice too uneconomical. So there is a substitution of uh, labor, of humans for labor, but it's not necessarily market driven. If it is market driven, then it's good. When it's not market-driven, then it could have very bad consequences, like people are being put out of work, and there is no other job waiting for them. They're trapped in unemployment because of these laws. So you got all these people out there that are so excited and so happy. I demand $15 wage. We want more money. We want more money. And what ends up happening? They get no money. right? Oh, this job doesn't pay enough. Okay, you're right. Now the job doesn't exist. Yeah. Oh, I can't raise my family on this $12 an hour. I need 15. Well, you know what? You want to, you know, this job, you're right. This job is not for somebody who wants to raise a family. So we're going to eliminate it. We're going to give the job to a computer because the computer doesn't have a family. So it's perfect, right? If the job doesn't pay enough to raise support a family, then let's have a robot do it, right? But this is what's going on. And this is why a lot of these stores are getting killed. Plus the retailers in general, because Americans are broke. Right. The Federal Reserve doesn't want to acknowledge it, but the economy is a mess. Consumers are in bad straits. They're loaded up with debt. The Fed's making that debt more expensive for them to service. They have lousy jobs if they have any jobs at all, or they have multiple lousy jobs. They got credit card debt. They got auto debt. They got student loans. If they still have a house, you know, a lot of people now are renting and their rent keeps going up. But if they still have a house, unless you're in a few of the bubble areas of the country, you know, you've got no home equity either. Meanwhile, looking at what's happening in the dollar, the dollar continued to trend lower again today on the weak economic data. Dollar index still above 97, but just barely closed at 97.14. Remember, the low before we had the hawkish hike, the unexpected hawkish hike on Wednesday was below, nine. I think we got down to 96.30. So the dollar did have a rise, but given how hawkish the Fed was and given the possibility that QE quantitative tightening is right around the corner, I'd say the dollar is acting very weak. And I'd say the opposite about gold. I mean, gold today was relatively flat. It barely was down. It was only down about six bucks or so on the uh, the hawkish hike. It was down, I think, five or six the next day. I mean, very little because it was up, you know, going into it. So I think for just having had a rate hike and for the Fed to have surprised the markets with we're about to do quantitative tightening, the fact that the dollar isn't stronger, the fact that gold isn't weaker is a very, very good sign that the dollar is going down and gold's going up. Mm-hmm.